Before we get going with this week's show, we have words from many, many friends. Let's start with the Breeders' Cup. Giant day of Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and urine races on Saturday between Del Mar and Saratoga. The Longines Classic Division has two win and urine races, including the Jockey Club Gold Cup from Saratoga, which I will be at covering for NBC, and the return of Flightline in the Pacific Classic out of Del Mar, also covered. We've got the Del Mar Handicap, which is a win and urine for the Longines Turf, and the Flower Bowl, which is a win and urine for the Makers Mark Philly and Mare Turf. Winners will receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, $10,000 award to nominator, $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. Coverage will be on NBC, Peacock, and FanDuel TV this weekend. It's the Breeders' Cup and the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series. Win and you're in. We've got a bunch of races. Kentucky Downs is kicking off. Horsemen, handicappers, and racing fans won't want to miss a single day of the seven-day FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs in early September. Owners and trainers will compete for the world's richest overnight purses, and horse players will enjoy the best betting opportunities in America with large fields and low takeout. Thanks to the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, registered Kentucky breads will run for $150,000 in maiden races, with allowance races starting at $160,000. 17 stakes totaling $10.7 million, include eight graded stakes. Kentucky Downs races September 1st, 3rd, 4th, 8th, 10th, 11th, and 14th. Reserved seats are on sale at KentuckyDowns.com. There's Unique, and then there's Kentucky Downs. That will also be covered on NBC in two weeks. I will be in Connecticut for those races. Our friends at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic. With 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote board. Fixed odds wagering is now available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money media network. And last but certainly not least, our friends at Canterbury Park. Play in the largest Breeders' Cup betting challenge qualifier of the year, Thursday, September 15th. The Big Ten BCBC Handicapping Contest at Canterbury Park. Play on site or through Express Bet or TVG. It's a $2,000 live bankroll with $1,000 going toward the entry fee. There are 11 Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge entries plus cash to be awarded. 100% of entry fees are returned. Thursday, September 15th is the date. For more information, visit CanterburyPark.com. And also don't forget the weekend of September 17 and 18. The nation's first and longest running. Live bankroll handicapping contest now in its 26th year, the Dog Days of Summer contest on track only at Canterbury Park. Win entry into the National Horse Players Championship. Again, all the information available over at CanterburyPark.com. On this week's show, we're going to look a little bit back to the Travers. We're going to look ahead to the biggest weekend of racing that we've had here in 2022. And safe to say, I think we will, given the names that are running. And we'll also take a look at the stake happening on opening day, Thursday at Kentucky Downs, all on this week's show. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 29th, 2022. It's the final Monday of August for the year that is extremely depressing if you're someone like me that i like the fall but i know what's after the fall if anybody that lives in an area now look 
Some people love cold weather. Some people love snow. Not my cup of tea. And I live in an area where we get a bit of it. So I'm a little bit disappointed that the summer has come and gone the way that it has. But those are seasons. It is what it is. I digress. This is episode 129 of the pod. Uh, however you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. All you need to do, type into the search bar, Matt Bernie, your show. You'll get this episode along with the 128 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe. If you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up. So you get notified when new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel, whether it's this show, whether it's Horse Players Happy Hour, whether it's the Players Pod, the, the Late Week Show, you name it. There's a million things going on over there within The Money Media. Um, and again, on Twitter, you know where to find me, at Bernie or underscore Matt. This week's show is a, it's not going to be a proper review. It's not going to be a proper preview. It's going to tie a bunch of names into the Breeders' Cup Classic conversation because we saw a spectacular performance in the Travers by Epicenter. The number of people that sent me notes saying, "Oh, see, now you're going to finally you're going to finally give the horses due credit." Now, I, you know, maybe I'm talking to the wrong people or or maybe maybe my messaging is not as clear as it should be. I don't think I ever said anything bad about the horse. I feel like I've only ever patted him on the back just saying that I wanted to see him run faster. And guess what he did that? He did that in a major major way in Saturday's race. We'll dive into that. We'll look at the chart and compare some numbers and kind of where I'm landing on what the number I'm approaching it as, regardless of what the commercial figure makers have it as, Um, which is something else to keep in mind. When you're looking at any handicapping tool, bit of a tangent here, it's a tool. It is not the end-all be-all. So you can interpret data points however you see fit. I'm going to tell you how I'm interpreting the data points that we have from Saturday's Travers, and getting us ready for what I think is safe to say. I'm not, I don't think this is being hyperbolic. This is the most important weekend of the year in terms of the Breeders' Cup Classic, because we're going to find out if number 1A, Flightline, if his brilliance continues out to two turns, and more importantly, out to a mile and a quarter. For the first time in the Pacific Classic. We're also going to find out if the older horses in New York, aside from Life is Good, if any of them have the ability or the potential anyway to run with a horse like Flightline, or Life is Good for that matter. Uh, It seems like it could be a rather Todd-heavy Jockey Club Gold Cup going a mile and a quarter. Seems like Pletcher has a number of them listed on the probables. But I want to throw out some names show you some past performances, compare, contrast who who is fast enough, who might be fast enough, who's not fast enough, in my eyes anyway, to run with Flightline, assuming he passes the two tests being thrown at him this weekend, two turns and a mile and a quarter. We'll then transition into a, it won't be a deep dive, but it, we'll look at some past performances and one replay specifically for the Thursday feature at Kentucky Downs, it's the Tappet, the $400,000 fan duel Tappet opening day at Kentucky Downs. Also happens to be the main track, I believe, for Horse Players Happy Hour this week. You can sign up over on horseplayers.com and then join me and PTF on Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern on the Breeders' Cup social channels, uh, on the In the Money Media social channels, where we talk over 
some of the stuff going on at Kentucky Downs. We'll talk about some of the races coming up over the weekend. And in the midst of it all, there's a contest going on, and you could be playing for one of two $10,000 Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats. So uh, feel free to sign up over there. It's only 20 bucks to play. It goes to a good cause. The the juice, the vig, the takeout goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare. Uh, so join us on Thursday afternoon for Horse Players Happy Hour. We will be talking Kentucky Downs, and we'll be talking about it here. Race number nine on Thursday. We'll do a bit of a brief look ahead and a horse that I'm interested in odds pending. If that morning line is accurate, I'll be very intrigued with this horse in particular. But first things first, let's talk about what happened in the Travers and compare Epicenter, because, well, let's just leave it at that. Let's compare Epicenter to some of the big names as far as the older males are concerned in the Breeders' Cup Classic Division. Epicenter wins the Travers in emphatic fashion. He leaves no doubt. I, I mentioned last week that I thought the best three-year-old in the country, boy or girl, was Nest. Uh, and I said, maybe on Saturday in the Travers, someone will do something that they haven't yet done and take that claim away. That's exactly what Epicenter did. Epicenter is the best three-year-old in the country. The figs back it up. Visually, the performance backs it up. He has been the most consistent from start to finish. And I have Nest right there just in behind him. But Epicenter made it clear he is boss right now. And not only is he boss in the three-year-old division, which... Also, keep in mind, that division, as far as year-end honors are concerned, it's still wide open. He has one grade one. So, you know, it's not a slam dunk that he's going to be three-year-old champion. Uh, but he made a very, very good case and a clear case that he is the best right now. The figs came back fast. Visually, it was spectacular. I think the most important piece, and I believe Steve Asmussen was even quoted in the Daily Racing Forum mentioning it, did it at a mile and a quarter. Something that neither Life is Good or Flightline have done yet. They have not proven that they can run that fast going that far. Epicenter ran the career best at that distance. So what you're seeing on the screen, for those of you watching along over on YouTube, those of you that are listening, I can verbalize it as well as possible. There are many, many numbers listed up in the chart. The numbers to the left of the horse's name are the Timeform US ratings for the race both the pace unadjusted number and the pace adjusted number in the parentheses. To the right of each horse's name, and I didn't put any numbers in for early voting, we'll get to him at the end, you have the three most recent buyer speed figures, including the Travers. Then you have a number next to it, which is my summation of what I kind of view the actual fig to be in line with. And then far right to the side of the jockeys, you have the final quarter time for each horse individually based on trackus so the 128 time form us rating pace adjusted for a 129 for epicenter i mean at this level at this distance spectacular you can't poke any holes in it if if this is what he is now uh he's not just a player in any three-year-old race he's a player in any race period including with flight line including with country grammar including with life is good and anyone else the 112 buyer, though, suggests that there's a little bit of a discrepancy. And the reason that I have, and I've gone ahead and just sort of crossed out the number, and then to the far right, the number that's circled is what my opinion of a buyer would be. Uh, the reason I looked at it and thought maybe a 109 is a little bit more in line than a 112 had more to do with everyone else than Epicenter. And purely on the clock, you know, the only mile and a quarter race on the day. I'm not going to 
sit here and dispute what the, the buyer that came out is. As I said at the top, figs are tools. And I'm telling you my interpretation of what the race looked like and what the numbers look like. I think it's probably a little bit high. More in line, not with the pace-adjusted time form US rating, but with the pace-unadjusted number, the final time fig. So a 128 for epicenter, I think that's probably more in line. Maybe I'm even a little high with calling it a 109. And the reason I did that had more to do with everyone else. So Cyberknife earned a 105 buyer officially. That's a three-point improvement from his 102 winning the Haskell last month at Monmouth Park. Zandon earns a 105 on the heels of a career best 100. Rich Strike earns a 105. Draw a line through the Belmont, which I told you was closer to a 93. And I told you, don't be surprised. He's not a bum. He's probably going to come running on at the end. He nearly hit the board. So, again, I'm sure some of you will, you know, toot your horn saying, oh, I told you he wasn't going to win. Well, I, I didn't say he was going to win, but I thought he would run well, and he did. I think it's closer to a 102, which would be in line with the 101 that he earned winning the Kentucky Derby. Gilded Age, career best 98 buyer. That's a 10-point improvement from his run prior. I think you take three off that. I think he did move up, but probably only to about a 95. And Artorius, who was terrible, he moved up to a 98 off of a 95 in the Curlin. If you take three off the 98, he's paired up 95s. So I think, and again, you're kind of splitting hairs to a degree at this point. Two or three points should not be the thing that either makes or breaks your opinion about any of these horses. I'm just looking at it saying the 112 buyer from epicenter to mile and a quarter right now, that's the best for any horse. Older, male, female, doesn't matter. Country Grammar has not earned a buyer that fast going a mile and a quarter. Flightline's not gone a mile and a quarter. And the only time life is good went a mile and a quarter. You don't have a buyer for it, but the time form rating would suggest that it wasn't close to that. So just based on this, Epicenter's arguably the fastest at a mile and a quarter period in the country. Now, if they ran the Breeders' Cup Classic tomorrow, I think he would be he'd be no better than the third choice. I mean, he'd be behind both of the top two. We'll see what happens on Saturday, both at Saratoga and out at Del Mar. Uh, and I'm saying at Del Mar. I don't know if that race is on Saturday or Monday, but point is, or Sunday even, it's this coming weekend. But... You can't be, you can't help but be impressed by what you saw. Final quarter of a mile in 24 and 4, according to Trackus. I mean, that was, I, I was just, I wanted to see him improve. He had been remarkably consistent, which is both a good thing and for me it was a bit of a detriment because I didn't need to find out and I maintain. I think he was not a particularly good bet at even money in this race. If you bet him and you cash, good on you. You beat me, I ran second. But to, to take a horse that I, I didn't know if he was getting better at even money compared to others that I thought were and were four and a half times the price, yeah, I mean, I'm going to make that bet every day of the week on Cyberknife. But what you saw was a new dimension from Epicenter, not just in the fact that he moved his fig up. It's that visually he was awesome. He did everything right. And he's a major player. It sounds like they may train him up to the Classic. And if so, I have no no gripe with that. Um, he, he was sensational. And if he does that again in November, he will be tough. I tweeted shortly after the race was run Saturday that I was, I was stunned at how the race was run. Now, you hope nothing went wrong with early voting. 
but for him to not be on the lead, I was I was absolutely blown away. And honestly, more so because I didn't love the fact that it put Cyberknife on the lead. Because I, I had said on the, the player's pod, I had said here that I, I think he does best with a target. I don't think he's the kind of horse that wants to just get out there and, and take the bull by the horns. I think he needs to sit, wait, have something to go at. So he doesn't get a little bit goofy and kind of forget where he's at. So for him to run the way that he did, I thought it was encouraging. Uh, he's very clearly not as good as Epicenter right now. I mean, there, there's really no way that you can suggest otherwise. I think even with the trip that I would have foreseen him pulling, I don't think it would have made a difference. I mean, what, he's certainly not making up five and a quarter. So what does he make up one? A half length? I mean, a length and a half? Even then, he's still, you know... 16th of a mile behind him so it was a really good effort from Cyberknife uh but he he was no match for for Epicenter Zandon I think the interesting narrative coming out and I've been on record many times saying he did he I don't think he's a mile and a quarter horse I don't know I actually think Saturday's race was the best he's run maybe I've been wrong but now I'm starting to read more and more people say that he just clearly didn't get the distance I don't think that's what it was I just think he got beat by two better horses Certainly Epicenter, who has beaten him on the square every time. But even Cyberknife, who, all things considered, set a reasonably swift pace for a horse that I don't think actually wants to cut out the fractions. Um, Zandon, I, I think he actually ran quite well here. And, you know, I don't think he's at his best at a mile and a quarter, but I don't think that's what got him beat. I, I think he got beat by two better horses on the day. Rich Strike? Look. I love what Eric Reed was quoted saying as a target for this horse. And I'm sure, you know, it's, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not saying this in a, in a critical way. It's easy to say right now that we're, we're more interested in the Clark than we are the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, you know, I, I, I fear that, you know, if you got a horse that you think actually belongs in the Classic, you're probably going to run him there. But we know the horse's affinity for Churchill Downs. I think the Clark is a very, very logical, reasonable spot for Rich Strike. And I think he would have a puncher's chance in there. I really do. Now, the rest of the, the field, I don't have a great deal to say much about. Other than early voting, I, I you just hope that he has not gone wrong. Um, you know what the funny thing is? The, the parallels between he and cloud computing continue to be more and more obvious. Lightly raced, look really good at Aqueduct. They go, they win the Preakness, and after that, they're, they they just they can't they can't run. Um, for all the same outfit, fascinating. Um, but I, I was stunned when he wasn't on the lead. But to to be fair and to give again a little more credit to Cyberknife and even in Epicenter, who was you know not far off, you know Cyberknife set the pace, second and third, half mile into the run, they finished second last and last and then epicenter was just in behind them so i think the top two ran extremely well um, i thought zandon did very nicely and i thought rich rich strike acquitted himself very well now what does it all mean in terms of the horses we're going to see coming up this weekend well here's epicenter's pps and you can see that he did take that step forward this is all i was talking about that he had just gone 98 to 102 to 100 to 102 to 102. Show me that there is a forward move. And boy, did he ever move forward? 
112, again, I think it's probably more like a 108, 109, but we're splitting hairs at that point. He's shown that he belongs, not only does he belong, and I, that, that probably sounds wrong, he belongs, but he belongs on the short list of horses that he might be able to beat flight line, even if flight line is fully capable at 10 furlongs, going two turns. I would take Epicenter right now over Life is Good going 10 furlongs. Just based on watching what I saw and the way that they finished, absolutely I would take him over Life is Good. He won't be the second choice. I'd be surprised if he was, put it that way. Now, Flight Line is the horse this weekend. Because if for whatever reason, he doesn't get the distance. If he gets beat, but he, you know, he runs a really good race, you know, don't panic. But if he clearly doesn't get distance, all hell's breaking loose in the classic division. All of a sudden, Epicenter goes from a horse that could be no better than third choice to potentially being the, the post-time favorite on the heels of that Travers, which just goes to show how important that race is and these races coming up this weekend are in shaping what that classic division looks like. By the way, if Flightline throws in a clunker for whatever reason, you're going to start to hear more whispers about the idea of Nest going against the boys. Malathot, she ran a big race on Saturday afternoon. If we're calling a spade a spade, and I'm on record, I think Nest is the second best three-year-old right now behind Epicenter. I think he's a clipster. I don't know if she can beat Malathot. There's a scenario in which either of them are actually better at 10 furlongs than 9 furlongs. They both love Keeneland. You know, all this is to say that if something bizarre happens with Flightline, all these horses that have been mentioned for other races, Brad Cox was quoted saying maybe the Dirt Mile for Cyberknife instead of the Classic. Well, if Flightline ends up throwing a dud, you, you best believe they're going to regroup and say, well, guess what? One of the main players is gone. What do we have to lose? We're not that far behind some of these other horses. Maybe behind Epicenter we are. But, you know, my point is this thing could change dramatically depending on what happens out at Del Mar this weekend. Another horse that figures to be an intriguing runner anyway, assuming he does show up here and it sounds like he's going to, is Olympiad. I feel like many people, the worst thing that happens these days in horse racing is a horse loses. Because people immediately go, ah, oh, see, no, no good, no good. People get so caught up in the recency bias. Well, no, he, he was not good in the Whitney. There, there's no denying that. But I mentioned it when we talked about the, the, the race a little bit. I'm going to sit here and just say he He bounced. Because I don't have a better explanation. This was a horse that was rock solid, consistent, and had just come off far and away the best race of his life. A race in that Stephen Foster, that caveat, to this point the form doesn't look great, which I'm a little worried about because one of my sons is in there. We're going to probably see him again on Saturday. But if we're just taking the, the numbers at face value, that Stephen Foster from Olympiad is competitive with Life is Good with Flightline, with Epicenter, with anyone else. The question is, can he get back to it? Because the Whitney was so bad. If he can get back to it, now keep in mind, he's also going a mile and a quarter for the first time in the Jockey Club on Saturday. If he can get back to it, he automatically puts himself right back into the picture. If he runs another dud, I would venture a guess knowing his connections to say that he's out of consideration for the Breeders' Cup. That's purely conjecture. That's a, that's a guess, but that's if he does not run well. 
I'm expecting a bounce back effort from Olympiad. I can't imagine they would go there if they didn't think he was ready to run. I'm expecting a better effort from him. But he is a horse that can be a player in the classic, assuming he puts his best foot forward. This is my son, American Revolution. Now, he still does some goofy-ass things. I watched one of his workouts the other day on XBTV. He's on his right lead, like, out the three-eighths pole. He's looking around. He's down on the inside of a workmate. He's, you know, who cares about the time? But he's he's always been kind of a quirky horse. Um, I think he's a mile and a quarter horse through and through. I think this race is coming up on Saturday. The Jockey Club is suited to a tee for him. If he does not run big, at least back to the Foster, I don't know that they would consider him for a race like the Classic. He's a New York bred. You have many other opportunities. And he happened to win the Cigar Mile last year. So, there are other opportunities and options if for whatever reason he is not what I think he is. I've been wrong before. I would be wrong again. I expect him to run back to that foster, if not better. And if we're being honest, he probably does need to run better if he's going to be a serious player in the Classic. There are other horses, though, that are coming into it in good form. Maybe not as fast, but you never know. Dynamic one, one of the other Todds. Feels like the distance is really what he wants. He's in career form right now. Probably needs to take his game to another level. I'm not sure that he's capable of doing it just yet, but probably going to get a decent price on him. Another one who I think just purely on the form and sort of the trajectory and the connections, first captain's very interesting. He lost the dynamic one last out at Belmont Park, but he's paired up by your tops of 98. I could see him moving up into the low mid 100 range. Again, if Olympiad and American Revolution run their best, maybe it's not enough. But first, Captain's at least a horse that you could still see a forward move from. Will we get it? Who knows? The distance is his friend. And I think he's just, I think he's a pretty good horse all around. This horse. I know some people still love Hot Rod Charlie, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and bash. Uh, I, I, I think he's a, a great underneath key kind of candidate in, in races like this. And I don't know if he's going to show up in the Jockey Club. Uh, but he does love Keeneland. And if we're thinking Breeders' Cup, why can't he be a horse that's forwardly placed and be involved in things from the very beginning and run second, third, or fourth at in a year like this, probably a, a very fair price, somewhere in that sort of eight or ten to one range with the other names, assuming everybody gets there in, in good fashion. So I think it's a really, really interesting set of horses that could show up for a race like the classic. Oh, hello, I didn't put on the float. So you haven't even seen me this whole time. That's all right, you don't care. Um, life is good. I've made my opinion of him known about 10 furlongs. I just don't think that's really in his wheelhouse. I think he's vulnerable at 10 furlongs, as opposed to what we saw from Epicenter, as opposed to what we may see from Flightline. Who knows? But I think what we got definitively last Saturday was the improvement that skeptics like me had about where the three-year-olds were. Granted, it was only one of them, but Epicenter took his game to a new level. That race is competitive against the best of the best of the older horses going along. And that's before we know whether or not Flightline can go two turns a mile and a quarter. That's knowing that that may not be the best setup for life is good. If for whatever reason Flightline stubs his toe over the weekend... Not only is that classic division up for grabs, but you've got a new leader in the clubhouse probably in Epicenter. Let me know what your thoughts are about the classic division as a whole. 
beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, a quick look at the main event on Thursday, opening day at Kentucky Downs. It's the Tap It. Opening day at Kentucky Downs. The main event is the $400,000 FanDuel Tap It. Now, it's, it's an interesting race. I'm not going to go super deep into it, but these are my past performances. Uh, I'm on two-page view, so if you're watching along, you're going to see horses side-by-side. Don't worry about right now what's on the left side because that's the race prior, the AEs. But the idea for me is Kentucky Downs is a fascinating meet. It's a really, really fun racetrack if you've never been there. I was fortunate enough to go last year to cover a couple races. I'll be in studio this year when we are there uh, two weeks from now. But it's very unique, and I think the biggest takeaway for me for the entirety of the meeting, not only do you have you know a great gambling product because you got full fields, it's turf racing, and you got low takeout. Not only do you have great purses for the owners and the trainers and everyone involved, but I think there could potentially be some sneaky hidden value in the biggest races in terms of the Breeders' Cup. I've talked about it before. There's an uncanny sort of reciprocity between Kentucky Downs, which is unlike anything we have in the United States. It's up, down, sideways, left, right, whatever. And Keeneland, specifically the two turf courses. It's the only turf course at Kentucky Downs, the only course, period. But for whatever reason, the, the form seems to transfer quite well from one to the other. Now, I, I get it. That's a bit of a blanket statement. And is it uniform across the board? No, of course not. Nothing is. If it was, I wouldn't be telling you about it. But I would encourage you, especially for horses that have not yet run on one surface versus the other, or vice versa. See how they've fared at the other track. So if you've got a horse trying Kentucky Downs for the first time, and they've run well at Keeneland before, I think that can be a bit of a, a foreshadowing that that form could translate. And you you have to factor in the obvious handicapping things. You know, what what's the form cycle like? Where are they at right now? Are they in good form? X, Y, and Z. But that, for me, is always something I look for with Kentucky Downs and when we get to Keeneland for the fall meeting. But to a greater extent this year, the Breeders' Cup. There's one horse in here. He's been good to me in the past, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. I'm not going to pick him on Thursday, but I'm very curious to see what we get from In Love. Because if he runs well here... And maybe they'll end up prepping him again at Keeneland in early October. He could be an interesting sort of bomber for a race like the mile. But let's just kind of buzz through some of these. I'll talk to you about what I have highlighted and what I haven't highlighted. Ramsey Solutions down on the inside. I drew a line through the career debut at Keeneland. Because it's a career debut. Who cares? Uh, you've got two races from Keeneland and Kentucky Downs. The figs are very similar. 98 and 93 buyers. Uh, it's also worth noting the 98 came in a victory at Kentucky Downs in this very race in 2020. Now, the concern with this horse is, was with Wesley Ward, last ran for him in the Baltimore-Washington Turf Cup. That was in July of 21. Laid up until June of 22. Comes back for Safi Joseph, runs on the synthetic down at Gulfstream, wins for fun. Visually very impressive, liked everything about it. Question is, where do you think he stacks up? Do you think he's going to get back to one of his best races? Uh, Timeform US had that number considerably lower than the buyers did. Um, I liked what I saw, especially when he leveled out on the straightaway. I think Ramsey Solution 
is is kind of interesting in here, and he's actually the horse that I would pick. If I needed to make a public pick, it would be Ramsey Solution. Um, from a gambling standpoint, in that six, seven, eight to one range, I wouldn't go much lower than that. Um, just simply because he is making his second start off of a very, very lengthy layoff. And let's be honest, he actually went back to the sidelines after that run in June. So uh, Ramsey Solution is the one I'm most interested in. Super Dormy, my concern here with this horse from Mark Cassie, uh, the distance is an unknown. We're going out to, if you couldn't see at the top, mile 70. Stretching out in distance, yes, coming off of a blowout victory, but that was first time at Woodbine. Um... The Keeneland form to date, not particularly good. You do have a good N2X run at Kentucky Downs uh, in September of last year. Uh, the problem is that fig is not nearly fast enough to win a race like this. So Super Dormy, I'm kind of against in here. I'm kind of against Like the King. Turn back in distance is going to be beneficial for this one. You pick up flow. Uh, but three back, that Keeneland run, it's kind of even. Uh, 91 buyer, probably not good enough to get the job done. You know, like the King's going to need to get back to one of his best races to truly have a chance in here. Um, and also, if you're just kind of looking at his overall body of work, he's much better on synthetic than he is on turf. Peace Achieves goes out for Norm Cassie and a horse that I think is probably... The tough thing for this one is I think is at his best when you can use that early speed. But going a distance like this, I don't know that I'm entirely convinced this is really what he wants to do. Although, having said that, he ran a mile and five sixteenths at Kentucky Downs in 2020. He was kind of even throughout, but I'm very interested in the idea that you get back to that run as a two-year-old when he ran at Kentucky Downs in August. He won. I know the fig wasn't gaudy, but the fact is he can handle the turf. So if you want to say that he was just going too far in that Dueling Grounds Derby, draw a line through that. He's one for one over Kentucky Downs. And by the way, again, that, that Dueling Grounds Derby was not bad. It was a respectable effort. I'm just not sure how it's going to translate. What kind of trip does he pull? I would expect him to be forwardly placed. I don't know that that's necessarily where he wants to be in here. Andy sheds Lasix. There are just too many things that I don't know about with Peace Achieved. Having said that, he's 20 to 1 on the morning line. Uh, a tone to me is is a horse that's best used underneath. He could certainly win. I think he's going to be too short a price. You got that big makers mark mild that effort with a one on one buyer that came at Keeneland. Uh, he flew home late at the end of that run at uh, Saratoga earlier in August. I think he's a good horse. I think he makes sense. Mike Maker has a great deal of success here, as does Tyler Gaffalione. I just don't think there's going to be a great deal of value. That's why I'm against a tone. Floor form I thought was interesting. Uh, you can see I've, I've highlighted a couple of the running lines, but also I've, I've made some purple lines showing that sort of upline trajectory where I think he's at his best when they can conserve, conserve, and then come with a run. Uh, he also comes out of that atone effort from early August at Saratoga. Thought he was good that day. Fig-wise, he makes some sense. Um, I'm just curious. Again, Judd Mott, Mott, you got Brian Hernandez up. Horse probably horse takes money in every single race that he runs in. So why would he not do it here? Nine to two, just a little bit unappealing for me. Uh, Shadow Sphinx, your guess is as good as mine. What you're going to get here, first time for Peter Miller. Um, wouldn't stun me if the horse ran a hole in the wind. Wouldn't stun me if the horse ran seventh. Um, you know, Kentucky Downs is an unknown. There's a lot of money here. These are connections that are going to go for the money. If they're here, I'm sure they mean business, but. Your guess is as good as mine what you're going to get from that one. New Year Surprise. I do like that mile and a half effort at Kentucky Downs. The only other time we've tried this. The problem is the horse just isn't fast enough on paper. 
you're talking about a horse that's a, a low 70 type, and that's not nearly good enough in a spot like this. Law Professor, I, I thought about going that direction because I do think this is a pretty talented horse. You may recall way back when we were going over some Oaklawn stuff in March and April, I picked this horse in the Oaklawn Mile. He had a miserable trip because I thought he actually ran quite well two back in this, in the, or say two back, three back now in San Pasquale. He's done good things on turf. I won't be stunned if Rob Atris gets this one to move up. Now, he's never had a runner at Kentucky Downs, but you pick up Julian Leperu. On figs, he's not far off. 10 to 1? You could do worse, I think, than Law Professor. He's got a nice little tactical gear. He's going to be close, but not up there actually challenging the leaders. My fear is that he's a bit of a wise guy horse, and he takes more money than he should. Uh, Law Professor, I think, is, is interesting in that sort of 8, 10 to 1 range. You know... Is he as appealing at 4-1? to one? No, probably not. All likelihood, he probably lands somewhere in between those two numbers. Skyro, uh, consistent horse, goes out for a good trainer in Brian Lynch. Uh, just as capable on dirt as he is on turf. The problem is, I mean, again, we, we've seen, and this goes back to what I had mentioned with uh, talking about Epicenter and why I didn't want to you know, really go at him at a short price, is he had seemingly plateaued. And could he move forward? Sure. But I didn't want to find out at even money. The difference here is Skyro has seemingly plateaued. All of his turf races, he's 87, 88, 92, 87, 88. But he's 15 to 1 on the morning line. If you want to gamble and say that maybe this is the time and first time at Kentucky Downs, based on that solid enough effort back in April at Keeneland, he's going to jump up, have at it. I'm not going to talk you off 15 to 1 shot. Uh, Megacity or Megacity, however you'd like to say it, goes out. Another maker entrant in here. You know this one's game. Speed, speed, speed. We're going to go. We're going to send. Um, I would caution folks looking at that Lone Star form. Uh, I believe every horse has come back to regress at least 10 points or somewhere thereabouts, 8 to 10. Um, that would bring this one back down into sort of a high 80, low 90, and that's not good enough to win. Uh, I think there's other speed in here. Trying Kentucky Downs for the first time. Um, he's a bit of a tough call for me as far as you know trying to use the Keeneland form as a harbinger of things to come at Kentucky Downs because you've got a good effort and then you've got a disaster but to be fair the disaster was off of a layoff showing big speed for different connections so um, you know I do with it what you will he's not my cup of tea but again it's maker it's Ricardo Santana wouldn't stun me at all if this one ran well and on the far outside my good friend in love Alex Ashard maintains the mount Paul Lobo's the trainer um, the funny thing is his two races in 2022, they don't look great as far as the finishes are concerned. But on numbers, they're actually very comparable to what he was earning last year. So maybe he's just caught some tougher fields. Um, I was very disappointed with the maker's Mark Mile. But then again, you take a look and see the way the race was run. Nobody really made up ground with the exception of Cheryl Spite. And he's come back to kind of flop in some races uh it's a it's a very tough call i don't want to be betting him on thursday but i'm most interested in seeing what do we get from him because if he can get back to his best form and again decipher that however you will i'm saying his best form meaning his competitive races if you're just looking at the numbers he's really not that far off of his best form i think he becomes interesting because he's proven himself at keeneland and not just for that Keeneland Turf Mile, but then perhaps even a race like the Breeders' Cup Mile at a big price. Um, I like In Love. He doesn't owe me a dime. And I know that's maybe that's not the best saying, but I, I like 
I got no beef with him. I, I think he's a good horse, and I'm hopeful that he runs well, even though I will not be picking him. In the Thursday feature at Kentucky Downs, it's opening day. I'm going to go to the inside with the one Ramsey solution, assuming we get something close to that 8-1 to morning line. Let me know your thoughts about the ninth at Kentucky Downs on Thursday. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Again, let me know what your thoughts about that feature at Kentucky Downs are and your overall impression of both Epicenter, the three-year-olds, and what to expect this weekend in both the Jockey Club and the Pacific Classic. I know we've got other big winning your in races going on on both coasts, but um, the, the Classic division is is the, the bread and butter, and um, it's either going to become crystal clear who the horse to beat is the first Saturday in November at Keeneland, or it's going to become, I don't want to say clear as mud, because again, Epicenter really, really showed something on Saturday. So I think it's just going to be a fun, fun next few months as we get closer and closer to the World Championships down there in Lexington. Again, thank you to all of you who listen every week. Uh, those of you that watch along over on YouTube, as always, you can find this show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in the moneypodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernie, your show. You will get this episode along with the 128 prior. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernie underscore Matt. I will be back on Monday talking about something that happened this weekend, for better or worse. We'll find out. And I say Monday, it's Labor Day. So maybe Tuesday. Probably, probably going to be Tuesday. And then I'll be getting ready to turn right back around, go down to Connecticut, and talk more Kentucky Downs. But uh, we'll have plenty to talk about for the action that occurred this week. Uh, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 129 of the Matt Bernier Show.